0: And they took offense at him, or her. Now here's Jesus coming home after a road trip. But we could identify this sort of story with anyone, I think. Anyone coming home after being gone for a while, maybe having accomplished good things in their time away, growing in voice and in heart, filled with passion and promise, and then coming home excited, jubilant, even, only to find that things are the same as when you left them. People just remember who you are, not who you've become. They refuse to see you differently. Maybe fear it might reflect how much they have not changed, or maybe because they don't want to give up their sense of control or power or authority or status within the community that, after all, you left. So they say things like this, who is this? Or who does he think he is? Or who does she think she is? Or what kind of nonsense is this? I remember you. I know which side of the tracks you came from. What they really might be saying is this, pay homage to us. Follow the rules and pay your dues. And when it is your time, we'll let you know and then maybe, maybe we'll let you in, then and only then, then you will be one of us and we will give you the authority over those whom you wish to teach. In the meantime, who do you think you are?" We do things like this all the time, you know. For example, when I decided I wanted to teach and I went back to school, I was 37 years old. I had to earn a master's in elementary and special ed. It was 44 credits. And in order to do that, I had to do student teaching, be interviewed by the state, go through vetting, go through interviews with the board of ed, be hired as a probationary teacher, spend three years, get my tenure, and then I had to do it all over again because I changed my tenure track from elementary to special ed. Twice. Join the club. Not yet. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Because when you're teaching kids... You should be vetted, you should be checked out, you should know what you're doing. But maybe it shouldn't apply to everything. Seems seminary sort of has the same rules. I decided I wanted to follow what I believed to be a call to ministry, so back to school at 50, this time for a 90-credit Masters in Divinity, which Annie has, a committee on ministry to guide and support me, a church community under whose care I was assigned and had to meet with, a supervised ministry program, a clinical pastoral assignment in a hospital, all this and more as training, and then an examination for 45 minutes in front of 200 people from the presbytery, and then at 55, being ordained and called to the first church I would serve as an interim pastor, sort of a test pastor. Actually, it was a great ministry. And again, it is good to be prepared, to be developed, and to be matured but I may be like you, seek a place to bring myself, not just my credentials, not just my experience, to be able to set aside the degrees and the achievements and bring all of me to something important to me, which is why I am here. And maybe Jesus felt something like that, probably even more. That no human power was going to interfere with what his Abba was calling him to do, filling him with the power to do But most of his hometown didn't see the Spirit of God when he returned. In fact, Jesus' cool reception was such that folks couldn't even listen to him, to the burning in their hearts he might have otherwise brought to them. And except for the very few, they dismissed him this carpenters' son. They dismissed him as arrogant and probably a little daft. And I'm sure they ridiculed him around the tables and the gathering places later and into the days that followed with derision, dismissal, and more. For even more was brewing, as we know. We know, too, that Jesus was human as we said in our prayer of confession this morning. We know he loved He wept, was pleased at times, became angry at times, and was lifted up by the crowds as much as he lifted them. So here was Jesus coming home with what he hoped would be witness to others for the message he had to share as it has been on his missionary trips and he'd been getting ready for this homecoming. Mark tells us of the many things he had done since he had left Nazareth. He tells us in earlier chapters that Jesus' authority had already been established in his baptism and in the voice from the heavens that spoke upon him when he was baptized. In chapter 2, he describes Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of heaven, the miracles he performed, the exorcisms at Capernaum, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, a healing tour, so to speak, through Galilee, including even lepers being cleansed. And there's stories, Mark tells us before this, of how he dealt with controversy. Opposition from the temple rebuking him for healing on the sabbath to the rumors that he must be working with Beelzebul, couldn't be doing this on his own, must be in cahoots with Satan. And then even more stories which surely would have circulated, stories about his calming of the seas, about his healing the demoniac as well as lifting from her deathbed Jairus' daughter which you read in last week's Gospel. However long he was gone, this now seasoned, itinerant preacher, this rabbi, this son of God, returns home. And after all he has been through, he is rejected. Who is this? By what authority, which licensing agency, gives you the authority to operate. What a fraud. We know who you are, Jesus. Really? Really. I'm sure he was saddened, but he didn't give up. He took his disciples aside and he said, never mind about this. And he sent them out to the villages and the towns, teaching and healing. And he told them that when someone doesn't welcome you in the spirit, let it go. Just let it go. Don't hold on. Shake the sand from your sandals and move on. Go to the next place, the next people. And the following chapters of Mark are full of Jesus and his disciples and their healings and their miracles, including the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, the healing of the blind, the transfiguration, and so much more. Along the way and before he arrived in Nazareth, There were good numbers of people who took offense at Jesus already. And there are those who take the greatest of offense at him, soon to be known in his crucifixion. But he did not allow these offenses of others toward him to stop him, to inhibit his love of God and others and his mission and his ministry and his teaching. And he did not let these offenses stop him. And I have to believe though, every now and then, he must have felt like it, but he didn't, I'm just saying. As you know, last week our denomination gathered in Pittsburgh for its General Assembly, an occurrence which takes place every two years. You received a little insert in the bulletin this morning from the Outlook that fills you in on what took place, and there's more information, plenty of it online have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Andy was there as well as a commissioner, so uh, we're very proud that Andy was there and she can answer many questions for you as well. But with others, my work was on the marriage committee as an advocate, the committee that was considering a change in our constitution for marriage equality for same gender couples in our constitution and or a change that would give ministers permission to marry same-gender couples in states where those marriages are legal. Now, I, this may sound strange to some people. You, you mean, you can't do this? I know. Because at Jan Hus, we have long blessed, married, and celebrated same-gender couples from well before my time here. In fact, we are not alone in this, and many ministers and churches are coming out, so to speak, very publicly they're coming out to raise what we believe to be the truth, that officiating in such celebrations is being faithful to our ordination vows, not the opposite, being faithful to the church, not the opposite. And from certain corners, the response has been not unlike the response that Jesus encountered among his own community in Nazareth and elsewhere. Who are these people and who gives them the right, the authority to do such things? Well, the same authority upon which Jesus drew. We can easily, I think, if we take a moment, remember those who fought the fight for justice before the changes were actually made. They are the believers, the advocates, those willing to sacrifice, speak for others who have no voice, place themselves and their careers in jeopardy and go out together into the communities, not allowing those who greet them with cool receptions to stop them from going forward. In many ways, although we did not pass any new amendments for ratification this time around, we came together in enormous ways with clear indications that we are a short distance from overcoming the coolness of these objections with the warmth of our love fired by the teachings and example of Jesus. And there is a foot, a movement now of ministers and pastors who will marry same-gender couples in states where they are legal to come out not out of defiance but out of faithfulness. In this way The question, who gives them the authority to do such things, is no longer a question of disobedience, but a statement of faith. Thank you, all of Janu's Presbyterian Church and Neighborhood House and all the other churches in this denomination who for years have held fast that justice and love knows no bounds. Let us continue to say so, to demonstrate, to witness, and practice such justice and love so they may know that we are indeed Christians by our love, by our love. And yes, some will even take offense to that. So let us pray for them, please. Amen.